We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What a Maybe the real season is what we learned along the way. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Alex Finthick. Bob me on Twitter. Hello! The season is over. Thank goodness the season is dead. Long live the season. We're going to tell you what we learned. We're going to give you bests and worsts and letter grades for Arteta and things we learned and all of that. It is going to be a bumper, bumper edition of Lessons Learned from the 2020-2021 season. Uh, and I'm excited to do it, and I'm excited to have you here, and we have so much to tell you about. Before we get started, I want to introduce Mike Feinberg. You probably know him from the Gooners Pod, and if you don't, you should know him from the Gooners Pod, and you can follow that on Twitter, at the Gooners Pod. But you should also know him from the phenomenal work he does uh, with Gooners versus Cancer. Obviously a very important cause, and one that we've promoted on the podcast in the past. And uh, right now is an important time for the Gooners versus Cancer uh, fundraiser, so I want to introduce Mike and give him a chance to explain that a bit more to you. Mike, Hello. Hello, Elliot. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, a pleasure. And uh, I'm sorry that it's been so long and that we're not just talking regular Arsenal today, but uh, arguably you could even suggest something more important. So can you tell everybody about the cause, about the timing of of why you're on right now and how people can participate? Absolutely. Um, Yeah, Lagooners versus Cancer is kind of a passion project that I started back uh, in 2018. We raise funds directly for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, which is a cause that's so valuable and, and, and you know, rings home for so many people, myself included. Um, last year, we had a modest goal with the pandemic going on to try to kind of meet the previous year's total fundraiser of $15,000. And I just didn't think it would happen because of the pandemic, people being locked down. But with the help of people like yourself putting us on your podcast, 
getting the word out, amazing, generous gooners around the world. We raised over $21,000 in a three-month campaign. So just absolutely phenomenal uh, participation from the, the family of gooners. So we're doing it again this season, and we're starting early. So the reason that we're, we're talking about this in May is because we, uh, we have the, the Gooner Raffle returning with amazing prizes like signed kits, uh, not signed by me, of course, uh, signed by you. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> uh, and, and actual Arsenal players, first team, legends, those sort of things. You'll, you'll, you can see them on the, on the website, which is GoonersVCancer.com. We're going to be doing that again, but if you donate prior to the end of May, so when the clock strikes June 1st, uh, th this part is over. You're also going to get entered into a early bird special, which sounds like a, a meal that you start at 4 o'clock in the afternoon in Florida. But uh, the early bird special is a specific drawing for a first team signed kit from this year. Uh, so you get a kit with the men's first team signed it, you, you know, the just as a commemoration of the amazing season that Arsenal's had, all the honors uh, you can have that hanging on your wall, uh, or you can wear it, or you can use it for whatever you want to use it, but it's a pretty cool thing to have. And if you donate before May 31st uh, or on May 31st, you're entered in that. So we hope to get a lot of great donations. We're already well on the way to our goals for 2022, uh, even though it's only 2021. I kind of get the year straight. Mm -hmm. But uh, but yeah, that's what we got going on, and, uh, and, and just appreciate you uh, giving us the opportunity to talk about it. No, it's great. <clears throat> it's such a, a great cause that you have been passionately supporting. And, and again, it's GoonersVCancer.com, right? Yep. You can get all the details of, of what's going on there and you can donate directly to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And once again, if you want to be entered in any of the raffles and that stuff, it's uh, May 31st is the last day to participate, right? For the team signed shirt. And, and your donation will also get you in, entered into the raffle later this summer, but it'll it'll additionally get you into the shirt for, uh, awesome. Well, again, I mean, Mike has to come on again at some point to talk Arsenal. Uh, but this is, as I, I mentioned, more important. I do hope that you will check out his podcast, the Gooners pod, which you probably heard already and can follow on Twitter at the Gooners pod, but most importantly, and I hope Mike doesn't mind me saying so, please go to GoonersVCancer.com and get involved and support the cause. It's a great one. Mike, uh, we'll definitely have you on again. We'll definitely be seeing you in person this summer, as we've been alluding to and, uh, chatting online, all kinds of nonsense. So thanks for coming on. Love it. Thank you, Elliot. All right. It's Gooners v. Cancer. Go there. Please participate. Please uh, support the cause. We'll come back. We'll do the season review with the whole gang. Stay with us. get started in earnest the crew is here they have assembled and we are ready to get started but before we do that i think the thing that i want to say more than anything is you know when i think about the arsenal vision podcast i don't just think about the four of us who are here right now or scott or some of the contributors that come on i think about us i think about you i think about us all being part of it that it is a community of people that make it special not just uh you know, a, a, an episode here or an article there, but really the entire totality of the way we interact, the way we talk about these ideas, the things I learn uh, in the Discord, on Twitter, from people who listen uh, and from the people who do the podcast, you know, together, all of us. So I, I just want to reiterate as strongly as I can as we get into our season review that while this has been a tough, tough year, both as an Arsenal fan and just as a human being on the planet, th this group, us, everyone who listens and feeds back and interacts 
is a huge part of of why I love Arsenal, why I enjoy uh, doing this and and helping me get through these times. So I want to say a big, big thank you for that. Um, I had said something similar at the end of a podcast, but I know you guys don't listen to the end of the podcast. So I wanted to get that out early. So thank you so much. Um, now we're going to get down to what everybody thought of this season. And here to do that with me is Tim. You can find him on Twitter. It's Roberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Paul, you can find him on Twitter. Pause with my pants. Hold pause. Woohoo. And Clive, you can find him on Twitter. Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Yeah, and uh, I mean, this this should be fun because I think we have a chance to look back at some of the things we thought and how those opinions may have changed and look ahead to uh, some of the things we may be excited about and some of the things we may be more concerned about. Look, I know we are already into that fun time when transfer news seems to be constantly breaking because someone who golfed in uh, Brazil with a player who used to be Brazilian but now plays in Spain, uh, talked to his golf buddy on a golf app, and he's coming to Arsenal. I, I realize all that stuff is going on, but we will have plenty of time to get to that. For now, let's put season 2020 2021 into the ground where it belongs and let's start on a positive note tim what was your favorite game what was the best game of 2020 21 season yeah for me this one's um quite straightforward it's chelsea at home on boxing day um first of all i just really enjoy beating chelsea doesn't everyone um but it felt like i mean maybe it's too much to call it a turning point considering we finished eighth but i mean it was a turning point in our season and it was a turning point probably in arteta's tenure uh, probably saved his, if not that individual game saved his job, reversing out of the form that we were in saved his job. And just the introduction of Smith Rowe into the team and everything that brought to us. But when you look at that starting lineup and it was Saka and it was Martinelli and it was Smith Rowe um, in the front line, you know, it, it just really gave you hope, if not for 2020 21 per se beyond that because you really looked at some of those players and look at Saka absolutely bossing it Smith Rowe bossing it and and for the first time in a while you could see um you could see the direction and and it was just it was a really good performance as well and and it was one that I think nobody expected at that point I was expecting to lose that game by a couple of goals so I enjoyed it um just on on an absolute face level um but at the same time I think it was really responsible for um, at least changing how we feel maybe about this team. Yeah, I I think it's pretty hard to look past that in terms of the impact it had. You, in giving that answer, made me realize one thing I will look forward to about this season being over is not having to say the 2020-2020-2021 season. Did I get that right? That's, a, 20, that's 20, a problem 20, 20, that's going to go on, though, because 2021-2022 and, and so on doesn't... <laughs> Doesn't flow off the tongue any easier. No, no, they don't get any easier. But I still feel like the 320s are 2020, 2021. 20, I lose track of it while I'm saying it. Anyway, that's uh, definitely the content you tuned in for. So we'll move on from that. Clive, what was your best game of the season? Um, well, I've got a couple, but yeah. I'll just pick one. Should I? Just for the rules? <laughs> hey, hey uh, as you know, I don't care if you adhere to the rules on this episode. I made that very clear before we started recording. I said, Clive, do this how you want to do this. Yeah, I, I, you guys know I'm going to say, I just really enjoyed West Ham away. I know we didn't win it, but I just loved the way it almost epitomizes us. Us being absolutely absent, out of the room, giving away three goals when they only had one or two attacks. <laughs> so um, we managed to fall asleep. But in the way we played coming back, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was wonderful, wonderful football. And I felt like the team was uh, as one. But I got—I was just going to say—I got to have a special mention for Slavia away. 
I just loved the way we approached that game before the game with this uh, the anti-racism stance and then the way we ripped them in the first half was just brilliant. So they're the two games that really left a strong emotion to me during the season. Yeah, I, it's funny, right? Because I, I do think that it's a great game to pick in a way because it epitomizes the the Arsenal duality in in a really uh, fun way that maybe didn't seem so fun at the time, but I, I definitely get where you're going with that. Um, Paul, do you have a favorite game that jumps out at you? And by the way, if we repeat answers, totally fine. I mean, it, it, there's with some of the best or some of the worst categories we have lined up, there's only going to be a few answers. So w- what do you got, Paul? Yeah, uh, so West Ham was, was kind of close to my other pick, but I'm going to go with the West Brom game. Mm, Anything that with the West. Um, <laughs> West answers it, only, please. Yeah, yeah. Because we just we played Chelsea three one, but it you know that game could have gone anyway. We we'd beaten Brighton, but it was one zero and it was pretty tight really. And then we I know it's only West Brom, but man, we lit it up in terms of the performances. And it took us a little, it had a couple of candidates for goal of the season too, um, <clears throat> including the Kieran Tierney. Oh, I assume they'll they'll come up in the third category. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the Kieran Tierney one kind of. It took us a while to to kind of uh, turn our performance into goals, but then we did, and just that for me that was when you saw the team flowing, uh, playing with confidence. Panache, Pizzazz, Pazum, Paluma, uh, Brio, Brioche. It had it all. <laughs> Um, so at, at least two of those test, words fit there. Yeah. <laughs> we test positive for anything, any of those things after the game, because if so, we might be in trouble. <laughs> uh, probably no. we. Yeah, there's probably one disease. I had one of everything in there. It was a bit of a Noah's Ark of adjectives, but that was what this game inspired. It mm. was fun. It was in the snow. I made a video about it, and I enjoyed it immensely. Yeah, I mean, us being fun is yeah. something that we we don't have a lot of. I mean, I think back to some of that post-season review stuff that we did towards the tail end of Arsene Wenger. And, you know, again, those weren't the best seasons, but you'd be picking from a few games where you really hit the high notes and the attack was was humming along. And, and those were the games that stood out because they were fun, the entertainment aspect of it. Um, I think my game of the season will have to be winning at Old Trafford. Uh, unfortunately, Clive and I, did a rewatch of it, which was maybe a mistake because it made me realize it wasn't half as good as I I had hoped it would look upon rewatch. I think Clive can confirm that. But All about the result, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 it was. Look, we hadn't won there in so long. It happened at a time of the season where I think things still felt possible and made me believe that we were going to go somewhere special and and we were getting monkeys off our back. And, you know, that, that really felt important at the time. And so... There weren't a lot of games this season that felt like big games because, unfortunately, the season was sort of lost for us very early on. That felt like a big game and a big game that we won. So, yeah, I'd have to pick that one for me. Which leads us to a category that has a lot of options, but we might wind up zeroing in on one or two is my guess. And so I will reverse the order and, Paul, go with you. What was the worst game this season? Um, I don't know if this is a surprising pick. I'm going to go with the Aston Villa game early in the season. Um, I know there are maybe some more painful games, but that was the game where I thought, uh-oh, we're, uh, 
we're not at the level of these other teams. And, you know, we, we'd play Everton, we'd play, you know, we beat West Ham early on, I guess, but, but they were kind of better than us. But when Aston Villa did to us what I hoped we would do to other teams, and we clearly did not have that in our locker, uh, that to me was the signal game that what was to follow, like we were a level below teams that we thought were going to be seventh, eighth in the table. So that that was a game, I think, of high significance in the contrasts of where these two clubs were at. Mm. And a mass, kind of in my uh, Arsenal identity, a, ma- a massive kick in the nuts for what I thought we were going to deliver that season until things changed. But I didn't know things were going to change. No, it's a very, very fair pick. Uh, Clive, what do you have as, as the worst game we played this season for one reason or another, emotionally, tactically, whatever you think? Oh, well, here we come to the yellow submarine game. There it is. I'm not yep. sure whether mm. to go for the... For me, the home game was was a little bit... I don't know. I'm going to leave game, a bit on it? the bone, right? Okay. It's the, I think the home game for me, just because we had the opportunity to respond from a disastrous away game, and then we froze in our boots, and we repeated tactical issues. And I, although I agree, Paul, about the Villa game, we got slapped in that game. It was in a we can recover from this part of the season type game. Do you know what I mean? They were, they were just slapping the face about where we actually were. The Villarreal game, there was no room to recover. It was a referendum game on who we are. Really, truly referendum game on the on the manager, basically. I think over the two games, there were some mistakes which we have discussed. So, <laughs> and so uh, Villarreal, that hurts me. And it didn't get better watching the Europa League final um, last night. It didn't didn't get better. The wastage of those two games did linger amongst Arsenal people for a long time. Yeah, it's it's really painful. I mean, a path into the ch- and and watching United be meh made me really really sad about what happened. I, I think it's the perfect game to pick Clive because it incorporates a little bit of everything. Feeling like players didn't turn up, froze in the big moment. Feeling like the the manager maybe didn't have the answers, wasn't convinced of his answers. Just a tame uh, uh, performance under the most critical pressure of the season. Let's take a little break out of our our season review, though, to, to linger on the Europa League just for a second since we're here, and I had a sense this would come up, so this is a perfect time to do it. Um, Clive, what's your enduring feeling about the Europa League final? Because absolutely hilarious for me like loved it love David De Gea not saving a single penalty and then missing his love United not winning it uh I feel good for Villarreal watching Santi Cazorla get thrown up in the air is good what I am struggling with is the people that want to make it a Unai Emery redemption tour kind of thing and and retcon what his history was with us that that doesn't sit great with me what's your enduring uh response to the Europa League final I think I've been quite consistent on him. I think he's a decent guy. He was at the wrong club for him. And that's it, really. And he struggled at our club. It wasn't through, it wasn't through lack of effort. He probably tried too much, actually. And um, and he just didn't quite gel with us. But I always respect him as a coach. I didn't think he was a bad coach. And you've heard me say it a million times, right? But he was a bad fit. So 
on the I just can't get away from looking at that game, watching two average teams, and watching us in much better health and fitness and confidence now compared to where we were on Villarreal's first game with all the injuries, and then we decided to make a tactical nightmare. <clears throat> <laughs> I just couldn't think past that. But Emery, Emery is who he is, right? And he'll find his place. He he's no fool, but he wasn't right for Arsenal Football Club. When we when we moved on from Wenger, we needed somebody who would manage our board. We needed a right dog. We needed a, a guy who was happy to be here. We needed somebody we, we should be happy to have. We needed somebody like Conte. That's what I wanted at the time. Somebody who's going to say, right, you lot, you're crap. Give me some money and let's get it on. But we had a guy that really bought into the model, bought into everything we were, and it wasn't what we needed. We need something else, and we mm. you know we're now pivoting somewhere else. So I don't blame him. Wrong time, wrong fit, wrong guy. And I'm pleased for him. I'm genuinely pleased for him because football is full of ups and downs, and he had a big down with us. And he has been a gentleman the whole way along. And when Arsenal were not gentlemanly to him, in my opinion. Let me just point out, Conte is available. Um, yeah, he's my favorite. Yeah, he's my favorite. Well, you won't like him, though. He plays free at the back, so he, he doesn't work for you. I will tell you something. I, he's one I'd compromise my ethics for. <laughs> my football philosophy can get in the bin for him, um, even though I'm not sure I'd enjoy it. So, super quick, Tim, Europa League final, hilarious or frustrating yep. or both in equal measure? Hilarious. I mean, obviously both in equal measure, but hilarious. My my view on games like this is always just take the best of it, you know, because it's like either Man U are going to win or you're going to have to listen to the Unai Emery redemption tour. I, I mean, I completely agree. Um, you know, I don't really have anything to add on em- Emery other than he was a bad fit for us. His, his career shows you give him a team between fifth and eighth in Spain. He'll get you fifth and eighth in the Europa League. And that's what he's done here is it's unerringly consistent. Um, it's it's not quite worked at other places for him, and there are probably reasons for it. But I, you know, I don't I don't hate the guy. Um, I hated some of the football we played under him, but um, I also hate some of the football we play under the current manager. So, because <laughs> <laughs> be can't fair, be choosers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's not entirely personal against him. I I found it absolutely hilarious. Um, I I really enjoyed it. Um, I've got nothing against Villarreal either. Uh, quite the opposite, actually. And you know, uh, I guess something we should men- mention, even though we're um, we're some of the bad guys here too, is amongst this kind of European Super League uh, fiasco, which is only just dying down. You've got Villarreal beating Manchester United in the Europa League final, um, and that's that's pretty funny. Yeah, I loved every minute of it. And look, I did not like Unai Emery at Arsenal. There are some coaches that are made for some size club, and I don't think he's made for Arsenal. I don't think he, you know, D- David Moyes couldn't hack it at United. He's proven himself to be a pretty good coach at other places, in Everton and now at West Ham. So sometimes coaches aren't a fit. The communication thing was an issue. Of course, I'm not going to beat him up for not being great in his second language, but, you know, not a great communicator. The football wasn't great. I don't think the players wanted to play it. Let's be honest, you guys. The way they went about that final and the semifinal and stuff like that, it's hard to get big clubs to want to play that way. Those players don't usually want to. Now, that may be a, a character issue with those players, but you have to coach the players you have. And so it wasn't a fit. Doesn't mean he's no good. Doesn't mean he's right for us. And I can enjoy it and still be glad that he's not our coach. Um, you know, and, and I got a lot of people on social media being like, it's our players. It just shows you, you know, they, they don't have the passion for the fight. They couldn't dig in the way Villarreal did. Our players would never dig in against United that way and get that result. And I'm like, guys, we beat Liverpool and City. Pardon me, Chelsea and City, City and Chelsea, 
three three tries, magic, um, to win the FA Cup last season with performances that looked a lot like that. Sit back, wait for your moment, take your moment, and ride it out. So, you know, let's not let's not be revisionist. It's not that the players can't do that. I just think it's that the players don't want to have to do that as their primary tactic. Uh, Paul, we'll move on from this and, and get, get Tim's worst game of the season because we don't want to miss that. But uh, in, enduring memory of the Europa League final, hilarious, frustrating, both, neither? Uh, almost entirely hilarious. I don't take any great meaning from it. Talk about a small sample size. It's one game, so anybody drawing big agenda conclusions from it, whatever they may be, uh, you know, you play the team you're playing in the final, mm-hmm. and and you, it, it it doesn't always lead to the best football. I don't. I I would take very few conclusions out of what would have happened had we made the final. Blah 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 against whoever. Um, so no, the uh, the penalty shootout was great. There was Frankie Coquelin stepping up, putting it into the roof of the net. Uh, the two goalkeepers having to save it. It was great. It was fun. It was dramatic. I loved it. I'm glad United didn't win. I'm glad. I like Emery. Right. Uh, I had my issues with him. Um, like Clive says, he's clearly a decent coach but not brilliant, and mm. I like him, and I'm pleased for him. He's a nice man most yeah. of the time. Yeah, all right. Well, let, let's get back to our regularly scheduled programming, uh, which means, Tim, you owe us a worst game of the season. Yeah, sure. So um, I only had two written down here, and I think we've had quite enough via our chat. So my other one is uh, Spurs away in November. I can't remember if it's mm. November or December, but, yeah, that 2-0 defeat away at Spurs on, on several levels just because – um, I mean, first of all, just personally, I watched it in a pub um, after an Arsenal women's game on an iPad, which was a bit rubbish. And it was just it was it was the mixture of predictability of it. Um, and then having to listen to everyone call it a Mourinho masterclass afterwards when, it, you know, Spurs Spurs were in good nick at that time, but only in terms of results, not performances. And it was just a really really bad time to play them and I remember thinking that in the build up to the game I remember thinking that they're just running hot at the moment and that it really sucks that we have to play them while they're doing that because they're nothing special and remember they were I think they were second or third in the league at this point and they were on this really good run and you know that that really grated and then you know, obviously we were stupid and allowed them to play exactly as the entire world knew they were going to play with the goals they scored. And our response to it was just to wallop loads of crosses aimlessly into the box and then listen to Arteta talk about how it's pure maths that if you keep doing that, you'll score. And I I lost a big chunk of my faith in Arteta, um, not just with this game, but with that explanation afterwards, I thought, oh, wow, this guy's actually talking shit. Like, He's he either believes that, in which case, wow, or else he doesn't, and he's just kind of lying, in which case, wow. <laughs> um, and yeah, that 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 game scarred me um, a little bit, to be honest. Um, and yeah, and it, and it was and losing to Spurs is always terrible, even if you take all the other context out of it. Yeah, <clears throat> and, think, and ultimately yeah. as well, it, it cost us European football, and however much you care about that, and it cost us the chance to finish above Spurs. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there were plenty of results along the way that could be uh, characterized as having done that, but <clears throat> I think that's a fair one. I So I would have picked the Villarreal second leg. Having been picked, I'll go another direction. I certainly think either Burnley game would be a good one. You don't really want to lose to them twice if you can avoid it. Um, I guess 
the one I'll pick is kind of a harsh one because it wound up being fine. But I, I think it's the Slavia Prague. Was it the home leg? 1-1, first leg? Where everybody was saying, oh, they'll press you. They'll get in your face. Just play the runners. You can get in behind. And we didn't do that. I think we started Willian. Um, we didn't have any runners in behind. I think we started Lacazette. Did, did we only lose once to Burnley? We drew Burnley once and, and lost once? Yeah, we drew yeah, away. Sorry. Yeah, was the, was the draw the one where Shaka kicked it in our own net? Right. Yeah, okay. So I it felt like a loss. Can we agree on that? Um, but, yes. but yeah, okay. Moral of the story is, yeah, Slavia Prague draw because they were really shit. We, we and I, I realized we wound up having a phenomenal second leg performance where we blew them away and it was easy, but I was nervous we were going to crash out there. It felt like a really dismal performance in the context of a period where we were making that much vaunted turnaround. And it also, you know, talking about Tim's denting your confidence in the in the coach thing, it it had me concerned because it seemed so tactically out of step with what we knew they would do and what we needed to do to get at them. You know, we didn't have the runners in behind. I didn't think it was great performance. And I know there was some debate that we had on the podcast about the quality of that performance and some of the things we may have tried to do. But all in all, I just felt really disappointed by what we saw. It wound up not mattering, but it came at a time when I think a lot of us were trying to really rehabilitate our faith in the manager. There was reason for it, cause for optimism. Europa League was the big hope left in the season. And there we go, first leg against a really bad team and just did not exploit their weaknesses, which everybody sort of saw coming. So that was a pretty frustrating one for me. How about a fun one? Goal of the season. I am terrible at this because I can never remember this stuff. But we'll we'll bounce around a little bit. Uh, Tim, there's one that's really easy. I'm going to give you the first chance to pick it if you want it. Uh, Goal of the season was that, sorry? Yes, yes, it was. Yeah. Um, so I, my my goal of the season is definitely Tierney at West Brom, and I'll explain mm-hmm. exactly why. Please do. Um, the, re- the, the reason um, I'm picking Tierney at West Brom is because Arsenal have scored, I've said this loads of times, but Arsenal have scored loads of nicely constructed goals that you can see on the training ground, and that's great. Like You've got to do that. You've got to have patterns of play and things like that. What I loved about this goal is it wasn't. Like nobody can convince me or should try to convince me that the plan was, "Mm, why doesn't Tierney cut in on his right foot and smash it? Um, It was instinctive. It was off the cuff um, at a time when we really needed it, when we were really, we really had West Brom under pressure, but we couldn't quite break them down. And that, that breaks the whole game open. But the other thing I like about it is that he hasn't tried it again, which sounds like a really counterintuitive thing to say, but, it's Tierney recognized at that moment, this is a time to shoot. Like this is sitting nicely. This is the right moment. We've got them under pressure. Like he picked his moment and then he didn't try to do it again because quite frankly, it probably won't go in again. And when I look at someone like Xhaka, for example, who scores a couple from 30 yards in his opening couple of games, you know, five years ago now, and then spends the next three months of his Arsenal career ballooning the ball out of the stadium. And you think, oh, no, like, did you honestly just think that those were going to go in every time? I just I really like the fact that Tierney was smart enough um, to recognize the moment both technically and emotionally. But then he was smart enough to realize that it was kind of, I mean, not quite a one-time only thing, but, you know, that it's it, it doesn't really bear trying to repeat every week. Um, and that's why I love it. And also the optics of it, you know, in the snow and him in his short sleeves and just smashing it in. It's a very, um, it's a very Tierney goal. 
Yeah, I feel we may have another goal from that game coming. Clive, do you want to pick it, or uh, do you have another one? No, no, no. I'll, I I like Pepe goals, basically. Uh, I, I <laughs> All the Pepe goal. goals, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think his goals are just like you can barely see him coming. Double nutmeg at Wolves. Love that. Right foot, you know, into the, into the side netting. The West Brom home goal. I mean, um, it's just there's so many. So the West Brom goal recently, I really like top corner. Um, yeah, the one the side foot through nutmeg finish the other day into the side netting. I truly believe we've got a special finisher at the club. Really do. And um, his goals are the ones that when <laughs> these are sort of goals in the stadium, we a full stadium. You only talk about one thing in the pub. It's as simple as that. They are special goals, and um, so yeah, Pepe. I just I said about four goals, but <laughs> Pepe goals are me. Are my I'm I'm open for all the Pepe goals. There's something about a left footer, you know, opening up his hips and curling one in the far side. It just looks great, and he he looks great doing it. And long may it continue. I'm I'm down for all of them. Uh, Paul, do you want to pick the West Brom goal? Yes. Okay, yes, please describe it. Else grabs yeah, it. Yeah, because it's it's got to be on the list. I mean, it, it is the one in my view. Describe it to us again for those who have forgotten. The second goal in Arsenal's 4-0 over West Brom. Yeah, so we're, we've been playing some football, but we haven't really put the – the Tierney goal is an individual goal, but it's almost out of frustration that he grabs <laughs> it. And here we crack this thing wide open. Uh, Bellerin – lays it off to Smithrow, who does his round-the-corner pass, which is his trademark, to Lacazette. Lacazette flicks it to uh, Saka. Um, uh, sorry, Saka flicks it to Lacazette. Lacazette puts it around the corner to Smithrow, who does the third-man run. Uh, third man, uh, uh, Smithrow squares it to Saka, and it should always have been those two guys. They're the, like the best story of our season. Anything involving Smithrow and Saka on or off the pitch is wonderful, and it's just beautiful. It's, it's, it reminds me almost of the Norwich, go- the classic Norwich goal between Giroud and uh, Jack Wilshere. Okay, there's there's uh, three guys involved in this. It's it's a holy trinity of players we saw uh, put together beautiful moves at various times during this season, but the the. This shows the technical quality of Laka's setup play. Um, and like the first time, like it's all about Smith Rowe's first time passes and just going for it, hell for leather. It's in yeah. the snow, as Tim talked about. It's, it, it's, uh, it's the holidays. Um, and it's when we showed that we could play that level of football. I mean, we absolutely tore them a new one, uh, both through Smith Rowe's run, through Saka running through the middle. And you you see Saka running away. In they do an unclassic commentary, him and Smith Rowe and Saka. It's it's kind of funny. Uh, and uh, uh, Saka's running away, pointing at him at Smith Rowe for the assist. Does and Smith Rowe says, "Oh, you point at me, but you're not running towards me. You know, you're not. He's not getting his hug, his celebration. And they just have a great bloody uh, rapport between the two of them." It's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful moment. Yep. Arsenal column on Twitter did a great breakdown of uh, of the goal and the importance of Smith Rowe continuing his run and how it was the kind of thing we missed from before he was integrated into the team. So worth looking at that. It's a fantastic goal, which leaves me to pick one. And of course, I'm going to pick a crap one. It's not a great goal, but I think it's the goal I may have celebrated the most. And that is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, 87th minute, 
home to Benfica. A game that could very easily have been the worst game on the list. You could pick the first leg of that tie, to be fair. Um, yeah, we were 30 minutes, 20, 23 minutes away from crashing out in the round of 16. Would not have been good after crashing out in the round of 32 the, the season before. Actually, that was that the round of 32? It was, wasn't it? Did we have Olympiacos first? or, or No. Or, no, ben, Benfica. So, for those of you who don't remember, it was 2-1 to Benfica. We needed two goals to go through. We got one from Tierney, who did sort of the Bukayo Saka. No, screw this. We're not letting this happen. He takes the brilliant William pass that uh, um, Paul has never let us forget <laughs> and cuts inside and scores beautifully. But then 87th minute, Saka curls one in the back post. Aubameyang heads home. We were three minutes away from crashing out. Uh, a, a goal that I celebrated because it was already a point in the season. I mean, this is, yeah, it was the round of 32. Unbelievable. February 25th, season already felt pretty dead but this felt like all that was left. And to lose it in the round of 32, I mean, I, I, I do wonder if Arteta could have survived if we had crashed out then, um, given what had gone before. But Aubameyang gets to the back stick, heads home, 3-2 Arsenal, celebrated it wildly, and uh, really, really loved that one. So that's my goal of the season. Let's, let's do some player stuff before we get into the pundit uh, staring at our naval stuff. So how about player of the season and Clive I'll let you go first because I think there's one that's going to be a fairly unanimous selection but it it is interesting Arsenal posted who's your player of the season and I think they listed five players and only one of them had played more than 26 games this season so it gives you an idea of of the lack of consistency or clear excellence that we had Um, but I I feel you may pick the one that a lot of people want to so so Clive who is your player of the season well, I was going to pick Danny Sobias, but I will pick uh, Bakaya Saka. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I will pick... Yeah, how Rapsack. much are you looking forward to not having to analyze Danny Sobias anymore? Uh, <laughs> or or, or analyze, deal with people praising him? <laughs> analyze him politely, because yeah. Yeah. I could I can see I know, him. I know. Anyway, Bakaya Saka, the guy with the rucksack with all our players in mm-hmm. it, because he's been carrying them for most of the year. So, um, yeah, outstanding. Mm-hmm. I, I can't help but look him, but worry. I don't know why... I just worry what we're doing to him. That's my first emotion that comes up. His talent's easy at spots. He's not he's not worth he's easy to analyze, right? What he does to people. I love I do love his ability to fight his man, whether he's big, small, doesn't matter. I'm turning around, I'm going for you. I'm taking it behind you. What are you gonna do? You're gonna stop me? You better stop me, because if you don't stop me, I'm gonna put a pass on. It's gonna lead to a goal scoring chance. I love his competitive edge. I was talking the other day. I think we've lost that massively in our players. We've lost the ability to want to go man on man and really take it at people. And he does that. And he does that at times when everyone else is shying away and playing square passes. So his, his ability is obvious. His tactical ability across multiple positions is unsurpassed. Um, his ability to execute in any spaces on the pitch is unbelievable. But he can do it at the most critical times as well, which normally comes, that clutch gene normally comes when you're a bit older. And he's got that at 19. So um, we can look after his legs. We've got a world-class player on our hands. If we don't, we've got a Jack Wilshire on our hands who's just been released by Bournemouth. We can't let that happen. We must not let that happen. So um, that's my worry. But let's just enjoy him. Right? So I'm sure you all agree he is the pearl. He is the one. 
we we sometimes are guilty of only remembering the last thing we saw, and I think it's fair to say Saka faded slightly towards the end of the season, but 3,400 minutes into an 18-slash-19-year-old, um, it's it's too much. 2,553 Premier League minutes pipped to the po- at the post by Rob Holding, who beat him by five minutes um, of outfield players. Leno obviously had the most Premier League minutes. Um, and just ahead of Granite Shaka by about half an hour. So a, a player who's incredibly durable, played a lot, and, you know, look, it, it is a case of being extremely excellent for most of the season and probably just needing a rest towards the end, and I can't wait to see uh, the start he gets off to next season. But, yeah, I, I think an easy choice. But, Tim, do you have a different one, or if you'd like to pick nope. the same one, please do. No, yeah, definitely. I think Bakayo Saka is really the only candidate. Maybe Tierney, but Tierney yeah. had a couple of injuries, and I don't think Tierney was quite as great in the three-four-three at the beginning of the season. I think he came alive a bit more in the four. Um, for me, it's Saka because he is the only player who has not played badly at any point this season or been injured at any point this season, and that's you know that that's really critical when you're thinking about player of the season. He has been good to excellent all the way through like you said probably dropped off a bit at the end but we're talking drop off by his standards he was still at least good he was i can't think of a game where he was actively bad um so he's been consistently either excellent really good and at his absolute worst good um and he's the only player that can say that um quite frankly so for me it's it's saka and nobody else is in the question yeah, I think that's entirely fair interpretation. I might try to pick someone different for the uh, embrace debate aspect of it, but I, I think he's the clear player. What about you, uh, uh, Paul? Do you want to embrace debate or do you want to just pick him too? Um, he would be my pick, but I think Tierney was really close. The only reason it wouldn't be uh, that Tierney kind of falls away in that debate because of how important he, he is for the team is, is the other factor, I think. If we don't have Saka we have other players who can kind of uh do what he does to a level and when we lose Tierney it's almost like we lose both wings from a fullback standpoint and his leadership and his maturity which Saka will have in a year or two um the maybe the injuries thing uh takes away his contribution within a season I thought uh, he I would have been 50 50 on Tierney versus Saka if uh Tierney had the full season <clears throat> Mm. I am struggling to come up with anybody else then that I can pick. Uh, I think, I mean, look, it's player of the season. It's not someone who impressed you. It's player of the season. And for that, it it probably has to be Bukayo Saka. If I'm going to pick anyone else for the sake of it, I will say uh, Emma Smith-Rowe. Emma Smith-Rowe is a player of the season for me in the sense that we were no good without him. And we were actually quite good with him. And there wasn't a lot of in-between. Even after we became quite good, when he didn't play, we we regressed. He has an ability to move without the ball that was really absent from any of the other players we used. I, I think Odegaard did a bit of it, but maybe not to the same extent. Um, he makes daring runs. He's quick to distribute. He has the kind of energy and technique and touch and, and tempo that we used to associate with Arsenal and do less and less. I think... You could ding him for only playing half the season, but you could say the half the season he didn't play shouldn't count because what we did wasn't football. So, so um, yeah, I, I look, it's Saka, of course, but in the Embrace Debate spirit, I think you could pick Smith-Rowe and point to the fact that he was fantastic and without him, we weren't. 
um, you know, and, and to show you how valuable he already is and how much the manager already thinks of him, the false nine away at Villarreal thing was a disaster and a thing Arteta shouldn't have done. But to have that kind of faith in a 20-year-old who's only come into the team a few months earlier, I think shows you what the manager thinks of the player. So something to think about there. All right, I've got a fun one, I think. Let's not go with worst. Let's go with most disappointing player, non-Willian division. Okay? So non-Willian division, most disappointing player. Paul, who is your most disappointing player, non-Willian division? Uh, I'm going to go with Danny Ceballos. Yeah. Uh, Clive is going to be furious. Yeah, well, (laughs) screw him. I got there first. Um, And it's... I think it's more appropriate than that it's me than Clive. Yeah, Clive's done much more bitching about him. But <laughs> I believed in him more to begin with. Me too. You know, he he's let me down. He hasn't let Clive down, but he's let me down. I've invested a certain amount of capital in the guy. I mean, I still think he's got skills and he's a good player, but he's not a good player in the Premier League. And for us and for our setup. Uh, maybe in a three-man midfield, but even that, you have issues with him. He's just, there are small players who are really good. Santi Cazorla played in a similar area of the pitch and was really good. He wasn't that much faster, but he was fast with the ball in a way that Danny almost is. Uh, you know, Danny's a pretty good player, but but he ha- he's been very disappointing this year, apart from on a couple of occasions, which gives you hope, but... <clears throat> You know, I invested quite a bit of time in understanding his game. I thought he would contribute more. He came into this season kind of on a high with us. Uh, we we all wanted him back this summer, I think. Um, he'd ended last year strong. And this seemed like a real positive. In the end, uh, a different player could have added some, some, something more to us. So it's a shame. I kind of like him. I, I, I don't know that he's the nicest person on the planet. I don't know that he isn't, uh, but I do kind of like him. I like him as a footballer. It it hasn't panned out, and uh, I guess he's off back to Spain. Yeah, I <laughs> I think it's good that you picked him because you had him in your preseason predictions as our player of the season. So, so did I? You did. <laughs> 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 well, so, at least it saved me from picking Willian. So that's yeah, good. Thank you, Danny. Well, one last thank you for you. Yeah. Um, okay, so, uh, Clive, who is your most disappointing player? I, I think there's really only one answer here other than Danny Ceballos, but, but fire away. Yeah, so Danny Ceballos, it wasn't the most disappointing for me because I didn't you have didn't a think anything super high opinion. I will also say on occasion he's been massively misused. When a player shows you his face, you must see it mm. and use him differently. So I thought he was let down on occasion. There are certain things he just cannot do, so don't expose them. So for me, the biggest disappointment is the one I didn't see coming. And I just assumed we were going to get 20 goals. And that's, and that's Aubameyang. Yep. Um, I think, you know, there are players that we like and don't like, as all of us and everyone listening. But... I like this guy, and he's been consistent for years. And he just does things. He does things, and he scores 20 goals. That's it. And, um, and he hasn't done. And while he hasn't done, he's not been able to bring anything else of himself to the game. And as a captain of the club, the highest paid player in the club now, I think that's been quite damaging. 
I don't think it's all his fault. There, there were circumstances. But I have less excuses for a 31-year-old who's done a few laps than I do for a youngster. Or some, even someone like Danny Ceballos who's finding his way in the league, etc. 23-24. Disappointing and surprising. And um, the goals we missed are the goals we needed for us to be a European team. And I'm not saying he missed loads of chances. I just didn't think he did enough of what Aubameyang normally does for any team he plays for. And there was a period when we couldn't get the ball to him, so I excused him. There was a period when he had some issues off the pitch, I excused him. There was a period when we were quite good, he didn't really do much then, had a little run at centre-forward, did fine, then messed up pre-spurs, did we need to do it, then got malaria, end of season comes, we're 10 goals short from where we need to be. I'm not saying it's all his fault, but um, I expected more output from him, which is a real... Surprise and a shame. I'm so hoping he can get his weight back on, get his physicality back, enjoy the rest, enjoy his family, and then come back next year and show everybody that that was just a blip. Otherwise, if it's not a blip and he's not happy here, then there's a decision to be made. I think he's that serious. He can't be, he can't be a five out of ten again. He's, he's too important to the rhythm of the club. So, yep. Decision time going to be an interesting discussion of what happens to us next season when we're sitting top of the table and the African Cup of Nations comes around. So something to think about for next season. Tim, can you go anywhere other than Aubameyang for most disappointing player? Um, I, 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 I mean, you can't, but for the sake of difference, I am. Please do. <laughs> I, I think that's, uh, that, that's absolutely fine to say that. Um, I was going to say Bellerin, but I'm going to say something um, maybe a bit more controversial. And, and I'm going to fold this into, um, I always write articles before every season um, called It's Going to Be a Big Season for, and I pick a couple of players. And this year, definitely going to be Thomas Partey. Um, I think he's been slightly disappointing and I don't think that's entirely his fault. I think there are definitely caveats about injuries, about coming into the, you know, coming into the squad late, coming into an uneven squad, um, et cetera, et cetera. I I think there are plenty of um, reasons slash excuses uh, for him. The the reason I think it's disappointing, I mean, first of all, you know, look, we had the discussion when we signed him about should we be spending 50 million on a 27 to on on like a late prime player? Um, We've already lost one year of that. um, And that's, you know, that's obviously disappointing. And again, not entirely his fault, but I've I've just got this feeling that Part is going to be a bit like Pepe in that on his good days you'll look at him and go yep that's a 50 million pound midfielder right there but I'm I'm just not convinced just when I see this inconsistency in players I I don't know maybe I've got trust issues but I and unless they're like 18 or 19 I tend to think that's kind of who you are. And the, the vibe I'm getting off Thomas Party is all of those, you know, all, all of those conversations like, oh, I wonder what Ab- Abu Dhabi could have been. And I always thought that Abu Dhabi could have been what he pretty much always was when he was fit, which is amazing on his day. And when it's not his day, take him off and send him home. Um, frankly, tell him, tell him to go home and put his feet up. And, Party has a lot of rough edges to his game. I wouldn't expect from a 27-year-old who's played under Diego Simeone, and so I'm I'm really um, you know I'm I'm not um, I'm not anxious so much about this player, maybe slightly, but I'm really curious about what next season brings, and I'm really curious about 
how how much those rough edges that I saw and that inconsistency was down to things like settling in injuries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I'm I'm quite fascinated by this player, but I do think that he's he's been disappointing just because on his good days he's so 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 good, and I want to see that all the time. Yeah, I mean, look when you watch him play, the way he can step past a marker, the way he can body someone off the ball, the tempo and pace which he hits the passes when they're accurate, but pops them between the lines and the way it pops off his foot, arrives on time, the way he can strike a ball when he's in good position, like he did on the final day of the season. There's a lot more to come from him, but to your point, to be worth what we paid at his absolute prime playing age, it has to be consistent. I saw enough from him to be super excited about the season to come and still to be able to say his first campaign was a little hit and miss for, as you said, a variety of reasons, many of which are not on him. I think it's incumbent upon the club to find a partner in midfield this summer that lets him play in the zones he's more comfortable with and someone who will complement what he does. Although I think when he played in the 4-2-3-1 second half of the season with Shaka, we did see more consistent uh, exceptional performances from him. We just didn't get to see that enough. So I, I think it is totally fair while accepting that the ceiling that is there, if you've got the bingo card, you can take a drink, um, is, is still exciting. So uh, let's see, we got you, Paul, to pick a disappointing player, correct? Danny. Uh, yeah, you picked Danny. Clyde picked Oba. You picked um, a party. I mean, it is Aubameyang, and I don't really have any other way to go. I'm not going to try to manipulate this into another answer. For me, it's Aubameyang. I think it's really simple, and if you look at um, the preseason predictions, Aubameyang goals, I set the over-under at 21 and a half. Uh, Clive was over at 22, Tim was over at 22, Scott was under at 19, Paul was under at 19. I was the lowest on him at 18. Um, and he didn't get there, and he didn't really get close in non-penalty expected goals. I think it was like 10. Uh, granted, he missed some time, he wasn't fit, he had malaria. A lot of uh, circumstances for him that that don't help. But, you know, I, we don't need to relitigate the contract. When you give him that much money... What you're hoping is you get an amazing first season, a pretty good second season, and by the third season, you know, he's he's making way for someone else or maybe someone has even been willing to take him on a free and, and pay him his last year, whatever the case may be. This season, though, had to be an excellent season because that that's how you paid him. You paid him with the idea that he's still in his absolute prime. You bring those goals back and you think you've got enough around you. And the fact that he couldn't do that is a big problem for us. And some of it is a problem of the play. They're not creating enough chances, not getting the ball into central areas. You can never point to a player and say the player is exclusively at fault for the season they had. But it is a disappointing season from a guy that we think of as one of the elite strikers in Europe and paid that way. So, you know, let's hope that he has a better season next season. And again, the African Cup of Nations coming up, it will be interesting to see if his second half uh, is something that we really have to worry about and be prepared for when it comes around. So let's do this. That will do it for uh, Most Disappointing. We've got to get to some of the predictions we got right and wrong, but if you stick around with us after the break, you're going to find out what letter grade we give Arteta for the season that was. So we'll take a break. We'll come right back. Letter grade from Mikel Arteta coming up after the break. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide, 
and you can log into your account anytime to send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life. Here's what a few people who have already tried BetterHelp have had to say. Andrea is an absolutely amazing therapist and I would recommend her to anyone. She has helped me tremendously with my mental health and has helped me stay on top of it and also understand my symptoms and triggers. My anxiety is now under control and I have her to thank. I am so grateful. Elizabeth is great at discerning my areas that need work and wonderful about helping. She's a genuine, kind, and compassionate person. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash vision. That's betterhelp.com forward slash vision and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people are using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states in the United States. A special offer for Arsenal Vision listeners, you can get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash vision. Betterhelp.com forward slash vision. Go there now and get the help you need. All right, we're back. It's time to... uh, sort of get to more of the analytical part of this podcast. And what I mean by that is we're going to talk about things we got right, things we got wrong, our biggest surprises, um, lessons we learned. But I do want to bring Mikel Arteta into the conversation. I think it's important. So, um, Tim, how about we start with you? Mm-hmm. Using the American letter grade system, you can use pluses and minuses as well. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. A through F. And in America, I think D is technically a passing grade, but F is failing. Uh, it depends on the school you went to, I guess. Anyway... I think people can figure it out. What letter grade would you give Mikel Arteta and why? Um, I'd say D. Um, in, in England, that's not a passing grade. Uh, okay. C is the is the lowest passing grade. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say D. I, I don't... I mean, I'm open to an argument that he should get anything higher than that. I think it's been a poor season, right? We finished eighth in the league again. And to be frank, that's kind of the highest we were at any point as well. So, like, we finished at our kind of apex, really. We were, you know, we were 15th for a while, but really we were around 10th, 11th, 9th for most of the season and got to the 8th with got to eighth with a five-game winning streak. Um, you know, Europa League, look, it's a cup competition and sometimes cup competitions go for you and sometimes they don't. But... The Villarreal semi-final, the the way we lost that was largely down to the manager, I think. Um, and that's, Injuries you know, didn't help, but I take your point, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I was going to say that international break in March really ruined us, actually. It has to be said, and he, he does kind of have my sympathy there. He has my sympathy because this is... Weren't we at you know, full uh, fitness going that? Weren't we all talking about like every yeah. Arsenal player is fit and available? <laughs> Yeah, and then it's like Erdgaard, Tierney, and Abamyang all pick up um, various ailments, and you think, oh, okay, and that's Shaka that's... right after, right? Exactly, and you think, yeah, that's pretty much as bad as it could oh, have sorry. got for us. Still, um, <laughs> and uh, Louise as well on top of that. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, but nevertheless, I, I just think there have been um, a lot of mistakes, uh, which which you'd probably expect um, from a novice manager, but. Um, I just, I, I guess, let me put it simply, I, I don't really see improve. I see improvement in some areas, but overall, 
I don't see improvement on the on like what Unai Emery left behind, to be honest. And Unai Emery got sacked, so Yeah. I mean look, there there are a lot of people that will point to all the things that got better and should qualify this. But I want to be clear about something about the letter grade for the season. My understanding of grading is C is bang average. So at a C, if you want to analogize it to, to golf, a C would be like par. So if you're going to give him anything better than a C, you're saying this season he did better than sort of expectations or par. Anything below a C is worse. So like, I almost feel like that's the ceiling of the grade you can give him because if you want to give him like a B, you're basically saying, oh, he, he really outperformed what we could do this season. And I, I think at that point you're, you're in tenuous ground, even if you want to praise the improvement post-Boxing Day, which, uh, you know, if you want to go on Patreon and listen to the the analytics season review episode, they, they have a particular viewpoint on that that, Again, you could totally disagree with. I just uh, let you know it's out there. So, Paul, what's your letter grade for Arteta this season? Uh, I'm going to go with the C minus. Okay. Um, I get that it's only about the season, not a portion of the season, but but it does matter. Like, if he'd had a good two thirds of the season at the start and ended badly, that's bad. That's worse than having a bad. Now, 14 game run and then you I mean you can decide how you feel about the last 24 games but I thought generally uh, there were things to be hopeful about um, I, there's a lot of extenuating circumstances for Arteta and we know what they were but I do I think one of the things we know happened that we don't give enough understanding to was the funk caused by those uh, the bad elements in the squad that were there for too long. And and they may not be individually bad people, but apples do spoil. And leading into the January window with a bunch of people, it wasn't just three or four people we got rid of. It was the other people who didn't know if they were staying or going. There's probably seven, eight, nine players in that squad playing every day while we got worse and worse, while the manager's decision-making got worse and worse, I would say. Um, that that's about as toxic as you can get. And he's, he did find a way to recover us from that. And I think we are now squad-wise, uh, we've, we've solved one of the major humps that nobody else had dealt with. And, you know, maybe this was the time it had to be dealt with. But it wasn't dealt with under Emery. I'm not saying that's his fault. And it wasn't dealt with before we lost Wenger. And it's gotten worse over time. And I think... That is a, a major extenuating circumstance. We don't give, we can't evaluate fully from here. But I suspect uh, it was it was at its worst at the time when we were struggling the most, and when the manager made some of his was the least flexible in his response to how bad the season was going in November and December. He didn't come up with new answers. New answers, I think, arrived for him, and he leaned into them. And from there on. I think he did mostly quite good. Um, so C minus. I don't think he. I think he's starting to show what he can do as a coach. There's there's hope in there from from how we've begun to play and the style of football. Um, but across the whole season, it's taken him time to come up with answers, and he came up with the wrong answers for Villarreal at a critical point. So then, yeah. then you're back to, uh, well, maybe his his big decision making isn't there yet or may never be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a fair summary in, in a lot of respects. Uh, Clive, what are you giving him for your letter grade? 
Uh, I can go C minus or C. It doesn't really matter, really. I think a lot of what Paul said there is really, really pertinent. I think what what he we can judge him on the stuff. I said this the other day, actually. Managing us is really easy, right? Because he's got to pick a team. He's got to make the right substitutions. If we win the game, everything's good. If he doesn't, everything's bad. And that's us. When that's us managing. For the people with the bingo card, can you throw in a washing machine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, and if he doesn't do it right, he's in the washing machine, right? So yeah, we spin him around, and, <laughs> yeah. and and then everything he says, he's crap. So that's just like I, I find it. I honestly, I find it quite juvenile, but it is what it is, right? So, um, but then we get to the other things that the club needed, and this is what hasn't happened for many years. I don't think Wenger appropriately managed the board. I think he was part of the board. He didn't manage them to raise their expectations. And he ended up suffering for that because he was almost too defensive and um, should have gone much sooner, should have elevated himself, should have had a succession plan, and then we'd be in much better shape. Emery came in, he came in as part of a conglomerate. He was happy to be here, as I said earlier. He wasn't able to manage upwards. He wasn't able to get the players that he wanted. He was just slapped into a corner. You're the first team coach, do it this lot. He, he went, fine, wrong fit. Arteta was probably the one that said, you know what, I need to, we're in a bad place. I need to manage this show. I need to clear this room out. I need to find out who's committed. And he made some selections which were absolutely screaming, saying, why don't you pick him, why don't you pick him? And he held his ground, he held his ground, he held his ground. He got them out, paid them off. Things started to improve. He need. there was a period before Christmas I and I said it on here. I've never been so low about Arsenal in my, in my whole mm. life. In my whole life, I've never seen us go that many games without winning. The atmosphere, obviously, there's no atmosphere, so everything was just completely uniquely bad. And I've not forgotten it. It was awful. And I'm thinking, Crikey, you're in trouble here. Then we had the Chelsea, West Brom, Brighton games in a row. It wasn't Chelsea I was worried about. It was West Brom and Brighton. If we lost those, that's it. We're in trouble. And Chelsea come along and we and we turned it around. And it's no surprise that certain people at dressing room are no longer here. It costs us money. Those people are all convinced us they were totally on board. Took their money and gone elsewhere and done wonderfully, haven't they? So I think he is the first one and the only one to manage the absolute problem. And he may have to manage upwards with the board. Because whatever we need to do going forward is not going to be done on a self-sustainable model. We're going to need something. I'm looking around the club. I'm looking around at our director of football. I'm looking around at our number one agent. I'm looking around at these people. I'm thinking, my God, we need some. We need something to go for us, really, really. We really do need something to go for us. We've got new people coming on board. Arteta making coaching errors really surprised me because I, I respect him as a coach. He got himself in a bit of a spin. That was, yeah. it did get me, it did shock me. It did shock me, I'll be honest with you. I didn't think it was that difficult. Just keep it simple, we've done that one. But um, yeah, I look at it and think, yeah, C minus. But I think he'll be better for it. Whether it's here or not, I'm not too worried, to be honest. Um, but we need to do what we need to do this summer when it comes to renewal. To me, that's the most important thing. Yeah, well said. So I won't waste anybody's time adding much uh, inanity to those articulate uh, and well-constructed answers. I will say C minus. And the way I think about it is kind of like if you 
take a class and there are 10 tests during the season, uh, during the semester and you get F's on like the first seven tests. And then you get an A, a B minus and an A. You, you raise that semester up to a C minus, but you failed a lot of it. Um, there was a lot of failure by Arteta this season and a lot of things he did that I don't understand. And me not understanding them doesn't mean they're bad. I think that there is a really interesting dichotomy for me between Mikel Arteta, the tactician, and some of the stuff I see that he can do. The players seem to stay invested in him, interested in what he was trying to teach them to do, seem to be able to, I think, play the way he wanted them to play. I still think that it would be wrong at any point to look at the season and say that this team consistently created the level of chances we need. If you told me Arteta got sacked in December of next season and you said, why do you think he gets sacked? I would say he never consistently solves the problem of not creating enough chances. So that for me is what's left to be done for him. He has to show that he can take the big improvements, or if you see them as little improvements, that's fine too, but the improvements we made as the season went on and convert them into a consistently chance-creating goal-scoring system because that's still not there. It's the other stuff for me, though. Can he manage the egos? Can he blend the the personalities together when it gets difficult? Can he handle the situations like Saliba coming back in a way that's in the best interest of the club long-term that isn't um, sort of egocentric? I don't know. We'll see. That's the stuff that I wonder about. I certainly think that he is in a situation where he has the worst possible team of people around him to make it a success. A C-minus with appreciation for some of the stuff he got right but too much stuff that went wrong to see the season as anything other than failure. Because ultimately, while we all love to get up our own butts about analytics and advanced metrics and the stuff on and off the pitch, if you're an Arsenal coach and you finish eighth and you have an embarrassing Europa League exit, you are are failing. So it is what it is. Okay, let's get into some fun ones that are maybe a little more uh, uh, analytical about the season and less cut and dry. So, Tim, real quick... What's something you got right this season? And by got right, it doesn't have to be something you articulated on the pod or wrote down or anything like that. It could just be something you thought and it wound up being true. Something you got right this season. Yeah, sure. So the last time we did this kind of exercise, I think was halfway through the season. I think you asked me something like, I think you asked me for a prediction or something or something you think will happen. And at that point, I think it was January and maybe Cedric had played a few games and people would start to go, hmm, he's not too bad, actually. Yep. Um, And my prediction was, no, he's crap. And you will see that by the end of the season. Um, Maybe harsh to say crap, but like average at best. Certainly not to the level of what Arsenal need, even for a quote unquote backup. Um, he wasn't in the Southampton team. That's a Southampton backup. A Southampton backup should not become an Arsenal backup. And here we are at the end of the season and he, you know, lost 10 games. What did he have? Like a handful of minutes. Um, Even, and what was really telling as well was I think the last couple of team selections um, that Arteta picked kind of showed you what his thinking is for next season, who's in and who's out. And yeah, I I think Arsenal, I think Arsenal would absolutely take um, any sort of interest in Cedric. I don't think they'll get any. Um, frankly, and I do think we'll be stuck with him. So that's something I got right. There you go. Mm, well done. Congrats to you. Let's all pat ourselves Thanks. on the back for the things we got right. Because I, f- I feel great. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if we got something right that was like super positive? Like, I think we're going to yeah. win the treble. And then, wow, I was right. Uh, Clive, what did you get right this season? 
Uh, I, I mean, you got many, many things right. What's a thing you got right that you'd like to highlight among that group? Um, should I pick a positive? Uh, I, do, I don't want to do a negative one, but I think the the right-back position, as we're on it, I think Hector Bellerin's lack of suitability for the right-back position for me was something that I regretfully had to highlight quite early on and has been made to look uh, fairly positive because a player like Callum Chambers has come in, someone else who I've criticised as a centre-back but quite liked as a right-back, has shown exactly how simple that role is to play if you play it aligned to the partner ahead of you. And it's been no surprise that since there's been those changes at right back, our right winger has improved a hell of a lot. And I think it was just something that was hard for people to see because we all love him. We all love this guy. He's a, an Arsenal man. And, and, you know, I really, I really rate him really highly when and I think we, I, another player I think we overplayed as a youngster. We ruined him. We run his legs out. He's not the same player anymore, and it, he's not the same player physically. But for me, the thing that really stood out for me was tactically. And so that's a shame we're moving past that now. And I, I actually feel sad saying it because I really like him. <laughs> I actually feel quite sad that the word's coming out. Mm. Well, yeah, well, it's, it, and it is a shame. It's something that you have to see. He's, he was asked to stay on, and he stayed on the extra year because he's that sort of guy. I think he'll go this summer. Um a bit of me wish he did look, put himself first, not the club first, but he put us first, played the early minutes, and he's, and he's developed, kind of position has developed away from him. And um, so, yeah, I was right about that one, but I almost regret saying that now. <laughs> Nothing wrong with regretting being right about bad stuff. Uh, Paul, what did you get right? Um, and again, a treasure trove of opportunity here for you, but but just pick one. Uh, um. Like, it's very hard to pick anything that I, I just got straight up right and is significant. <laughs> Not a lot. Um, I feel a bit the same on the wrong stuff. I mean, player stuff, I I guess I don't say a lot about Chaka because he's doing better and I don't need it. But I'm glad that I saw something in Chaka as a player and as a person that he's had the chance to show. Um, Smith Rowe. Uh, was one I called early on, but then again, no great brilliance there. Anybody who watches a bit of him, you know, Clive knew he was a player. Uh, Tim has him down as Ballon d'Or winner from two years ago in one of his tweets. So we've got that. You, you had him as tweets. your breakout player. You predicted Smithrow breakout player this season before the season started. So you definitely take credit for that. Yep. So did and Tim, by I, the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I had Tierney as my. Uh, fullback of the uh, decade, and I was mocked by you bastards. Oh, yeah, relentlessly. You, you bastards being everybody but Clive, <laughs> so you know who you are on this podcast, mocked ruthlessly, and now look at him. So, But I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I think prediction, like, there's a prediction section. What these things show me is how bad I am at predicting things. Even the things I get right, I'm like, Wow, I didn't get them right. The, the future is uncertain is is one of the things that uh, making predictions on a pod. It's hard to pick something big and be right about it. Just is. Yeah. Look, like, the- there are infinite possibilities. Only one of them comes true. There's only maybe there's a limited number of reasonably likely things. It's really hard to pick shit that actually happens. Well, you, you know, here's the problem, right? You, you can pick. You can be right about like a scoreline. It's going to be two one mm. to the Arsenal. If you want to say like, oh, I think this player will fail. Or I think this player will succeed. 
hard to be right or wrong about that because there are great so many gradients within that, right? So so mu- so many yeah. gradations of of how they succeeded or how they failed that you never no one will ever agree you were 100% right or wrong about any of those kinds of things. So I, I definitely take your point. By the way, in the Discord, I post a link, but for those of you who, who are not patrons, uh, there's a podcast called No Stupid Questions, I think. Um, and they did a thing on how to be a good predictor and who makes good predictions and super predictors. And like one of the things they cite is not being emotionally invested in the outcome and not being certain of the prediction you're making. And like those are the I think two worst. I've worked worst out th- what my problem is there. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem, right? Like they're the worst things for us because we're super emotionally invested in what we're predicting, and you want to make really concrete predictions because, especially in sports, it lends itself to that because there isn't. Let's face it, it's not a lot of skin in the game. Nothing bad happens to you if you're wrong about sports. That's why we like it. You can invest a lot in it without it impacting whether your family thrives or your health is okay. Well, it can impact your health depending on mm-hmm. <laughs> the season you're having. But anyway, um, is, is that it though? You good? You good on that point there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think for what I got right, and you know, look, I think I, I get a lot wrong about tactics. I get a lot wrong about individual game analysis. It's not where I'm as strong, and, and you would think podcasting with Clive this much, I would get better at it, but no. I think where I tend to be a little stronger is some of the squad building stuff. And so if I had to pick the thing I got right, I think just more of my instincts about our summer business, specifically sort of like the Oboe, Willian, Cedric type stuff, where I looked at this and I said, this doesn't feel like smart club stuff. You know, I, I didn't want to give Oba the contract the William move, the Cedric move, like those, they just didn't look right to me. And I think a year on, we can look at that and say, those are probably all three moves we would have preferred not to have done. So, and I don't think that was particularly genius to look at it that way. But I think as we we try to be dispassionate about the club and, and, and analyze the club, absent some of the emotion, which is really hard, those were decisions that to me didn't look like particularly sharp moves. And I think- I thought the, um, yeah. mm-hmm. I thought the over one was, pretty much genius mate because i was sitting there waiting the for instagram to come or, out or, or, or no to say about the contract yeah. you know because at that time i was pretty worried i think you know he was tipped up and he was doing well and the instagram came out and i was really happy and you were consistent on that and well william and cedric well, a little bit easier to spot but yeah, Aubameyang, <laughs> he was uh <laughs> he was he's the franchise right and um and you you put your head up so fair play well and and to be fair i think the reason that was a hard one for me is again and i, I don't think people necessarily understood this who have just come come to the pod more recently he's my absolute favorite player like when he came to arsenal i was thrilled i loved him at dortmund i was thrilled he was at arsenal and I think we should have done it the summer we did Lacazette and not done Lacazette, another story. But so, yeah, none of that was with me saying, oh, I don't rate him. I rate him immensely. But yeah, it just it didn't, didn't look right. So that's what we got right. Let's do things we got wrong. And I'll start. Um, I got a lot wrong. I do get a lot wrong because I tend to have strong views in both directions. And so when they are right, they look very right because I was strong about them. But when they're wrong, they're they're pretty bad. I think one that I'll pick, though, because I was too strong on it, is Pablo Marie. I don't think Pablo Marie is a world beater, but I really felt that like it was a ludicrous deal, one we shouldn't have given him, bad player, doesn't belong in our song, went really, really big with how bad he is, and that just looks that looks wrong in hindsight. Like I don't think Pablo Marie is ever going to be a guy that we're thrilled is at Arsenal. I, I think he is a competent player that's a, a good guy to have in the squad, and I think I was just really wrong about ruling him out to the level that I did. And un- unlike some of those other guys uh, that we mentioned, he came in, he contributed, he he played okay at, at periods, and I, th- I think he's a player that we will wind up finding handy to have around. I, I don't think he's going to be the, f- the starter for Arsenal at left center back, 
I think he's a useful guy. And so I, I owe him an apology and that move an apology. I was definitely swayed by the sort of Kia links and it looked a little shady to me in retrospect, went way too big on Marie not being any good. So that's when I got wrong. Uh, Tim, what's something that you, you think you may have gotten wrong or definitely got wrong? Yeah, sure. Somewhere along the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess this is my opportunity to talk about Bellerin because um, I guess I was ignoring the elephant in the room because I like him. I like I like him as a, as a man and, yep, and as same. a player as well. And and don't get me wrong, I do. So I, I guess I was making excuses for him not playing brilliantly. And like, again, some of those I think are genuine reasons. Um, I do think Tierney might have finished Bellerin's Arsenal career just because you can't have two right backs that, that are, sorry, two full backs that... Uh, a full overlappers I don't think I definitely don't think Arteta wants that so um, you, you can't have Bellerin and Tierney I don't think in the same team and, and Tierney's on a higher level at the moment um, and I guess particularly in the first half of the season I didn't want to believe that the Bellerin Arsenal story was kind of ending um, when really and again it doesn't have to mean he's a terrible like I think he'll be a really good pickup for whichever club he goes to because like a bit like Gabriel Jesus at Man City, I think that would be a brilliant pickup for a, mm. for a club. If Tottenham sell Harry Kane, I think they should buy Gabriel Jesus and just say you're our striker, go for it. Like I feel similarly about Bellerin. The talent is there. It, it's just his races run at Arsenal, and um, I think that's probably been obvious for a little while. And it took me a long time to come round to it, just because. I, I like him as, as as a player and a guy, as I said. So that's definitely something I, w- I was wrong about. Mm, yeah, fair enough. I, I have to admit, if you didn't pick Bellerin, I probably could have gone back and picked it too. I I thought that people were totally underestimating him. I, I could throw another one into the wrong category, by the way, that, that Clive would laugh at, which is I really thought what Ceballos showed us Project Restart was exciting. Getting him back was massive for us. Like To the extent that I was right about summer business, I thought getting Ceballos back was one of the most important pieces of business we did, that he would become the partner for party, that he would go on to be excellent and a guy we'd want to make permanent. He just impressed me during Project Restart. Clive was never a believer for stylistic reasons and and limitation reasons that I couldn't see past because, again, the tactical tactical side of the game, I'm not as sharp at. And, uh, yeah, I was way way off on that i mean he he just is not a player who can thrive in our league and our team and and i couldn't have been more wrong so uh maybe what we'll do is we'll volley this where i'll ask each of you a thing you got wrong and then i can come back and keep listing the various things i got wrong um i will tell you i, I was not wrong though about the lawnmower that thing rules anyway um uh clive what did you get wrong if anything i can't think of anything but try to think of something of course you can flippy now um i think a couple of things that I didn't really em- over. I didn't emphasize enough, and um, and funny enough, it was the importance of another player between the lines. Um, I have a different way of thinking about that position, and um, you guys were kept saying we need another player between the lines, another player between the lines. I'm thinking, oh mate, we need to sort out our right back. <laughs> it's about <laughs> emphasis. <laughs> I mean, that's what our right is It's uh, it's about emphasis, and and suddenly when those players were available between the lines, I, I could see a little bit more. And um, so I think emphasis on that was something that I've I've learned throughout the season, and some of that's to do with Bamiyang, by the way, playing another creator off the, a forward off the left who does want to come inside. So that that presence of a creator, another creator, the two plus two, which we all fell on. I think that was key. I think another thing that I didn't emphasize enough in my thought process, but I've changed, is um, our ability to press. 
I think um, it's something that I think is massively important, but at the top end. But I also, something I do agree with, it's massively important in the field, which I have, I have said. But the ability of the ball is something that I think people are missing and not expecting from our players because they know we can't do it mm. physically. And I think that's something we need to all focus on a bit more as a club and as a fan group. Because if you just look at the games on TV, when your team's not playing, they could all take the ball from you. And um, it's something that we don't do. And we eulogise players without recognising that 85 minutes of the game is off the ball. It's not on the ball. So there's a couple of things. And uh, there's one more thing I think I got wrong. I thought if William Saliba plays, Mm. he could be sensational. And because of the way he plays, he could be sensational if he played for Arsenal. And fair enough, he didn't play. Yeah, I don't think you you didn't get that wrong. You just never got the chance to see how right you might have been. So maybe next season we'll see. So that's something. So they're the things that come to mind. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I I also got wrong thinking for sure that Daniel Eck would buy Arsenal. That no, I'm just kidding. I never thought that. Um, Paul, what did you get wrong? Did you get anything wrong? Uh, I did. Yeah, I got lots of lots of things wrong to a degree. Uh, Mm -hmm. Probably the biggest thing I underestimated and maybe the most significant was the gap for a new manager to not just a coaching job or a managing job, but this job. Um, And maybe also how bad a mess we were. Um, I guess we didn't know the whole Ozil, uh, the kind of turnover of the squad would be this difficult and this ugly and this problematic. I mean, we knew it was an issue. But uh, you take all the problems we had, that came along and you're not just giving the guy a coaching job. Now it doesn't matter that he asked for a manager job. I could ask for the job of president of the United States, but it's not my fault. If you guys give it to me, (laughs) it's you guys's fault. That's a very good point. Yes. That would be our fault in a big way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Much more your fault than mine. Hmm. Um, And so it doesn't matter whether you think, Oh, he wants to be called a manager. Who gives a fuck? Um, the gap between not just a new time coach, but any coach and this job, uh, you need to be a bit special. And the club on its side, uh, you know, they put money in, but never giving you two thirds of the money you need for a funeral doesn't get the body buried, right? Giving the manager. We nearly some buried money. the body this season. <laughs> we tried. Yeah. Giving him party, but not a war gives you the season we just had. You know, they said two out of any three players uh, were potentially uh, um, coming in. Could have been Jorginho, Party, and Noir. That was one version of th- things. I don't know if we still believe that was that was the, the given situation. Um, but certainly the player between the lines thing I thought was important. That was another... I'm with Clive on that one. I thought... That was significant, but I didn't realize how badly we would hurt. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we hurt really badly, and the manager didn't have other solutions. And it happened last the last uh, weekend of the window, which which is maybe how it all went tits up for us. But the gap, you know, that again leads into getting a... Arteta knew it was important, but did he know how much trouble he was in if that didn't happen? And that leads back to my... Um, I I think Arteta can be a great coach for us mm. or for somebody in the future. 
but man, the size of the job uh, is probably too big, not just for him, for Emery, for many people. Now, he, the, the one thing he has going for him, back to Clive's point about his frustrations with the club, is the one thing I don't doubt is that Arteta matches our ambition in terms of success, and I think that's fairly unique. I don't think that's every coach, um, and I do think he's talented. So I think there's a chance that in the end we'll say, God, that it, the, there must have been an easier way to get there, but this guy, turns out, is really good. The question is, can we get to the point where he gets to be really good? But I underestimated the delta between him and almost any coach, but certainly a new coach and this job. Yeah. Um, I thought of another thing I got wrong. Uh, the Ozil thing. I I wanted us to be better than we were at the start of the season because if you paid attention, you might know that we were very, very bad. And I felt we needed someone between the lines. But I was wrong that it was Ozil. I, I'm not saying that I ever thought he was going to be prime mess at Ozil. I just thought, whatever the character issues are, Mikel, you have to start picking your most talented players. But what I think we've seen is he's not someone who's interested in football anymore. He's gone to Turkey and by all means has been pretty bad. They're not just pretty bad. If you search some of their tweets, they're pretty furious with him. They, he actually sort of cost them getting champions league football, I believe. So it, it, it's just the point that yes, that solution was a, a solution we needed, meaning a player between the lines, a playmaker uh, stitching things together. He wasn't it. And not, not using him was a stick used to beat Mikel Arteta but in the end, I, I think he winds up looking right for that decision. Um, and, and I think there will still be people that will say, no, I disagree. I get it. I'm just saying where I'm at now is I've come around on that. And I, I, I can no longer see that decision as anything other than having been the right decision. Um, the manager may have taken a bullet on our behalf with that situation. He may have indeed. And that is the manager job, by the way. So good kudos on him. Real quick before we finish up, uh, I'm going to revisit season predictions just for a second. I'm just going to highlight some that are interesting slash funny. I already mentioned that Paul predicted Ceballos to be our player of the season. But I should mention that myself, Clive, Tim, and Scott all picked Aubameyang. Uh, so there you go. Lest I not humiliate myself, one of the categories we had was breakout player, a player who would break out to another level. Uh, I picked Ceballos for that. So, Paul, high five. <laughs> Superman, uh, Spider-Man pointing Whoosh. at each other. Paul yeah. and Tim picked uh, Smith Rowe. Scott picked Pepe. And Clyde picked Saliba. That gets a... Uh, uh, an, I would say unfinished. He gets an unfinished for that. How about another one? We pr- tried to predict Saliba starts. I set the over under 10.5. All of us picked over except Scott. We were all wrong. One area where Paul and Clive look really smart, we picked Ozil starts 8.5 uh, over under. Paul and Clive both said zero and were both correct. Uh, the villain of the season, Paul and Tim both picked Ozil. Certainly a decent shout. Uh, Scott and I picked Louise. Certainly not Louise, although, uh, you know, he, he wrote... He, There's no all, he said, Well, he sailed close to the to the win just with a couple of red cards and penalties that hurt us, but no, it's not him. Clive also gets credit, picked Ganduzi. Uh, Ganduzi certainly didn't wind up looking great, did he? Uh, let's pour one out for the William goals. 8.5 was the over-under. Um, I said six. Scott said five. Tim, Clive, Paul, uh, you all went over. Uh, no, sorry. Uh, Paul, Paul and Clive, I apologize. Under with eight, and Tim went over with nine. We were all wrong. He had one, but boy, was it one. Wasn't it? Wasn't it? 
No? Assists. Assists. <laughs> no, it was we, a critical moment in the season. Yeah, he, he really critical. did step up when it mattered. Uh, we all went over on 20 and a half AMN starts. Ainsley Maitland-Niles did <sighs> not make 20 and a half starts, uh, nor did he make over 20 and a half starts. For and, unless you count the West Brom ones. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say. Touche. Touche. Touche, touche. So, yeah, just a couple of fun things there. We did pick league points. Um, I picked 63. Paul picked 63. Clive picked 68. Tim picked 68. And Scott picked 60. We actually beat that. 61. So when thinking about the letter grade, worth pointing out that we were within two points of what Paul and I predicted. We beat Scott's prediction. We didn't make it to Clive and Tim's. Although 68 would have been a good total to finish with. I think one last thing from the season predictions that will really highlight what we need to fix. League goals. I said 68. Paul said 66. Clive said 66. Tim said 66. Scott said 64. I think we were at like 50, 58 or something like that. Um, moral of the story is goals are an area we need to improve. So that was just a little look back on the preseason predictions. Let's finish off with uh, just a couple of super quick ones. Tim, yep. what is the biggest lesson you learned this season? The biggest lesson I think I learned this season is too many managers um, under-index shots on goal yep. <laughs> um, as a thing that's important. Um both of our previous, our, our most recent managers have done that. Um, I, I was talking to that. So they announced like uh, the Team GB squad today for the women's football for, for Tokyo and Arsenal's Jordan Nobbs has been left out, which is an insane decision. Um, she is a midfielder who takes loads of shots and gets loads of assists. Um, and of course, when you have players like that, like they can unbalance you slightly and they can do things to your structure. Um, but and, and and I'm not pretending it's straightforward. You just put 11 people in who take loads and loads of shots and you're fine. But generally speaking, um, and, and I think Pepe may have taught us this lesson as well. Stick with the people who take shots, like treat them well. Um, even if you don't want to play them every single minute of every single game and you think, oh, actually, we've got a big game here. So maybe I'll leave them for the last half an hour look after the players that either take shots or help you to take shots. I think that's the big lesson I've learned this season and something I, I feel um, I, I feel I'm going big on. And particularly ahead of next season, when I think of players like Martinelli and Pepe and how we get more minutes into them. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm going to just say what I learned because it piggybacks off you, which is, yeah, I mean, and I say I learned it, but you know maybe I knew it to some extent, but just you cannot get where you want to go being a team that emphasizes attack and uh, defense and solidity. You just can't. You can't get there. And I, I think that it's something Mikel Arteta is, has maybe started to learn and will need to learn even more because you know if, if you look at this season, how this season finished, Liverpool, my goodness, 45.4 expected goals against. You know, they, they were worse defensively than we were. They finished third. Why? Because they had almost 20 more expected goals for 72.6. Only City at 73.3 were better. Now, they underperformed it slightly, but they scored 68 goals. We scored 55, okay? We only conceded 39 goals. It's got to be more shots. It's got to be more expected goals. It's got to be more goals. The, the way you get up the table is real simple. You score goals. And if you look at the top four XG teams this season, they're City, Liverpool, Chelsea, United. In other words, they are 
the top four teams in the league. Not in the exact order, but not far off it. So, yeah, we're going to have to be a better attacking team. And we're going to have to not just, you know, it is easy sometimes when we watch games like, oh, we're building it beautifully. Oh, we're in good positions. And then we have this debate like, oh, but those good positions didn't result in shots. But but that's part of it. And the tube of the toothpaste thing, I know, Paul, it's on the tip of your tongue. But like, and that's another one for the bingo card, drink. But like, like, it doesn't matter if you don't shoot at goal. You have to get shots from good locations, and if you do that, you win more games, you get three points more often, and you go on and you finish in the top four and you go on your challenge for league titles. So the thing I learned is the thing I think we sort of knew, but but now it's just supercharged. Build your team to be good at attacking, and the rest will work out. Uh, so that, that's it for me. Uh, Clive, what did you learn this season? Um, uh, I sort of spoke about the, you know, the emphasis on pressing. I, I will say on the attacking thing, I don't think people look at it correctly, um, if I'm honest. I think they have to, what you have to do, you have to realise what causes the shots and where you play is really important. I think the... Toothpaste. Imp- <laughs> it's the importance of the back. It starts at the back line, I'm afraid. It starts where you play. You look, I bet if you look at those passes in our last third in, near our goal, I bet we're top of the table in that. you, you got to start by curling the bottom of the tube real tight. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's about territory. It's about territory. It's not having territory, <laughs> territory will provide people with more. It will provoke proactive movement. And then Tim will get his shots. Mm. You know, it's as simple as that. When you're playing too far away from your goal, forwards don't move. And your forwards become non-runners. And I think that's a big, that's a big thing why Bamiyang's been so passive. Um, but when you push up, and I, I keep, Sunday was a great example. I mean, Tim is in the ground. How front-footed we were with the crowd. We played them. We played in their half. We pushed them back. We got we got chances, crosses, events around the goal. It's the big thing for me. If we sort out the back door, so we feel comfortable pushing up, we'll get everything we want going forward. And mm. so I'm going to re-emphasize that again. It all starts from your centre backs where you play. I love it. You know, and then I love you can it. Do, we, we've got talent up front. We've got talent. But they're too disconnected. I, I love well. it. I, you Can, know what, Clive? I couldn't agree more. Now, Paul, I'll let you back in a second. But I was just going to say, like, if you think about it, if your center backs are standing on the halfway line, your central midfielders are on the edge of the final third, your ten is on the D, and your forwards are in the box. That creates, that provokes, that creates goals, that stitches it together, that gets you your shots. If your center backs are on the edge of your defensive third, and your central midfielders are on the halfway line, and your number ten is the edge of the final third, too much distance, too too many twenty yard passes that need to be made to push it up the pitch. So what do you do? You go out wide, you give it to a fullback. He's he's pressed up against the touchline. We all know how that works. The the horseshoe of death going back to your center backs and back to your fullbacks. So Clive, I couldn't agree more. But it means playing more high wire football, and to me, it means use Gabriel and Saliba the next season guys who can run guys who, who yeah. feel comfortable striding out um uh paul or tim paul you want to come back into that first and we'll i was just gonna say the the only thing is i like how uh, clive laid it out because i don't think it's a positioning thing like I, I know you didn't mean this but you could listen to what you said elliot and sound like oh we just need to position people further up and stand in different spots at but like where you are on the pitch is a a function of how well you can connect and play sure. yep. mm-hmm. and automatisms. I know that's kind of implicit, but Clive's point of you can build from a few different angles, but how we build, it was clear from the first day with Arteta, 
was billed from the back. And we've tweaked that and we've changed that. But the better teams, uh, like Liverpool, City, were transformed with certain goalkeepers who could do certain things to help them build from the back. We're With the players we have, we're looking to build from the back. They may not be the most perfect players, but it does come back to the whole toothpaste thing. You, you can't just turn around and say... And I know this isn't what you were saying, but let's just stand higher and let's put let's have people stand in the box. You get done, right? If if your play does not support uh, the progress of and positioning of your team moving forward, okay. and it's complicated and difficult, and mm-hmm. coaching's hard. Yeah, you're you're right, Paul. I think it's not just where you play; it's your ability to suffocate teams and keep them there. And I think that's the difference. So it's okay, we can build up, we can lose it, but those teams we're talking about at the top of the table, they get it back. They yeah. get it back and you don't get out of your half. The in possession, the out of possession. The uh, shot suppressing midfield, the, the strategy of the ball that these teams have, it is different to us. We yeah. haven't got the athleticism in the middle part of the pitch. We have got some great forward movement developing, particularly in the youngsters. So it's, it's half there, right? You're just yeah. keeping people there long enough. I noticed it on Sunday. I don't know what Tim may have a view. I felt we kept them in their half. We were really front-footed and aggressive and tackly and moved the ball quickly into spaces. I really enjoyed that last game. And yeah. I think the crowd has an impact. Again, I wish I was there to really get the feeling. But, this, is, but hey. this is one of the most important things about football, and it's one of the reasons watching football on TV sucks. Movement without the ball is the most underrated and important thing in football, but it's very hard to watch on TV. Um, it's how someone like Aubameyang becomes a, a European top striker. It's how Mesut Ozil built his career. Movement without the ball is absolutely critical. Hard to watch on a screen when they're only showing you part of the field of vision. Tim, uh, certainly expand on any of that as you want or give us your thing you learned or both. Uh, yeah, I, I gave you the thing I learned. Oh, right, but, um, yeah, so never mind. I, yeah, and, and I built on it, so good, good for me. But I, I, I definitely want to expand on that yeah. and being in the stadium. So um, read my column. It's out now because one of um, one of the things I put in it was um, about what I think the priorities should be for next season uh, based on the players we already have. And, and the first one I put was um, about appointing generals for this team. So give that defense to Gabriel. Um, you know, you bought like, this is Arteta's player. You bought him, you bought that center back, give that defense to him, make him feel like, and don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not saying that like Arteta hasn't done that well enough. Cause that does take time. But um, definitely one of the things I, I felt being in the stadium on, on Sunday was, Oh, well, like Gabriel is a player who will step out and he'll engage and party is that player as well. And you start doing that and you start doing that within the spine of your team. You're 15, 20 yards further up the pitch and they're both intercepty players and they're both, you know, able to kind of get up an opponent's backside. And I, I think they can really help us to do that. And so I'm, I'm really you, keen. Do you think the crowd energized them to do that? Or uh, were um, you surprised when you saw that? Because you had not seen the film. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Maybe it was just because I wasn't wasn't seeing it. I don't know, but definitely, and that was definitely a conclusion that, like, I, I wrote this piece on Monday because that was just one of the things I saw on Sunday. And I thought, wow, yes, let's let's just have Gabriel. Like, don't rotate him with Mari anymore. Like, let's have Gabriel in that defence. Trust him. Get him to get that defensive line up. Get him and party with that synergy. And um and really start to kind of intercept and dare I say press um a little bit and and that that was something I saw that I was enthusiastic about 
um, and I definitely hope we see next season. Yeah. Um, okay, so I got two more things on the list, but I want to do them in under two minutes. I want to get them really, really, really quick. So maybe like one sentence or less. Tim, what's the biggest surprise from you this season? It doesn't even have to be Arsenal-related. Just biggest thing about the season that surprised you. Yeah, sure. In one sentence, uh, Pepe since Leeds. I thought his Arsenal goose was cooked and I wondered if we if that would have happened on December the 28th or something nearer the January transfer window I do just still wonder if Pepe would have played for us again or at least if there would have been a really concerted attempt to try and drum up some interest I I'm hugely impressed by how he responded to that um yeah I I definitely thought he was not long for this Arsenal world after that and he's got better and better since then very long sentence, but a very good contribution. Paul, what's the thing uh, that surprised you the most about uh, the Premier League season or the season or Arsenal this season or whatever, however you want to interpret the question? Uh, In one very long sentence or less. <laughs> Liverpool. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we all thought they might take a back step. We all thought that uh, VVD was important. But holy crap, uh, did they utterly fall apart while still having good players on the pitch, mostly playing good. And then they kind of turned it around and got back into the league. Uh, Arsenal-wise, the Smith-Rowe butterfly effect, the like the contrast between his arrival and having a player between the lines and the transformation of our football. Uh, I mean, I always liked Smith-Rowe. I always thought he could be a, an important player for us over time. I did not think he would walk in and save the man. This might be an exaggeration and literally save the team and the manager's job and his relationship with Saka is the best thing about this season. Yeah. Uh, Clive, surprise, biggest surprise? Apart from the meekness of the Villarreal games, which I'm still <laughs> recovering it. from. Um, no, that did surprise me, the, the home game. It, I just couldn't believe the lack of um, courage in that game, actually. And um, I think, again, I go back to the crowd factor. I just don't think that happens with 60,000 in the stadium. No chance. They do not get out of there. And um, I think, I'll go on to my surprise for you. I think the surprise for me is the football has been different. I think we'll look back at this year and we'll think of it as a development year. I think when you're playing football in empty stadiums, it's a coach's game. You hear the coaches, you see the coaches. All you see is a coach's game. It's a practice game. These players have pushed themselves to the elite level of the game. As you get to the elite level, one thing changes. Money and size of crowds. You take away the size of crowds. I think you lose certain people from the, from the show. I think... Number one thing for me is don't be too conclusive this season yeah. because it's not been a normal season. Hold your conclusive thoughts till next season. Yeah. It's not been a normal year for any of us in our lives. Now I've not I've been going to London for thirty five years working in the city. I've not been in the train since March of twelfth last year. Never thought that would happen. Weird. I, I mean, you to know? be fair, your point might be the biggest surprise might just be that they got a whole Premier League season in. I don't think that was ever a guarantee. Yeah. You know. So I know we got we love our game. We absolutely love it and we analyse it. But you know we're reading things today about abuse to players and things like that. Man, come on, hold your thoughts. This has not been a normal time for anybody, and you can't expect everyone to be optimal. So um, that's been my thing for the season. Mm. My biggest surprise is the way the Super League died so quickly. Just that whole mm. Super League. I I really believed that if this many 
billionaires and this many big clubs were willing to announce something that seismic with Goldman's, uh, not Goldman Sachs, um, uh, Chase. Chase, thank you. Uh, you know, with, with a bank on the line and contracts signed that we were in for a seismic shift in football. And I, I was scared for what it would mean and also convinced it was going to happen because it's also the kind of thing we felt was coming towards football. The fact that it collapsed so spectacularly, so quickly, so meekly is absolutely stunning to me. And a reminder, never assume just because someone has a certain job, certain profile, a certain amount of money, that they know about what they're doing at all. There are a lot of charlatans and dilettantes and frauds, he says, staring into a mirror, in positions of authority, and they get things wrong. Thankfully, the combination of the fans and the government and UEFA and FIFA, who I'm reluctant to lump into that, the reaction was strong enough to get it killed, but I don't think we've heard the last of it. Um, but yeah, I... I I think that is shocking, stunning. The announcement itself was stunning and the collapse of it even more surprising. I think one other surprise you could lump in is just the patience of Arsenal fans. I think Arsenal fans deserve a little credit. Constantly lamented is the worst. Oh, we're the worst fan. Any look, if you want to get blocked, I don't block anybody on Twitter. Let me tell you what and you've already blocked me, so it doesn't matter. You know what will get me blocking people on Twitter? When you come at me and say, uh, Arsenal have the worst fans. Arsenal are the worst. Yada yada. No, we're not. There are bad fans at all clubs. All clubs complain. But, hey, we finished eighth and got knocked out meekly in the Europa League pretty badly. And by and large, people are taking it in stride by our standards. I think that's pretty surprising. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. He may already be gone. Thank you very much. Oh, there he goes. All right. Love you, buddy. <laughs> um, so let's let's leave it there. If I had one more thing on it. And even with Clive gone, I'm just going to ask you this real quick. And it, it can be summed up with three words. Tim, three positions you'd strengthen this summer if you could be guaranteed those three would be added what would they be yeah in this order central midfield number 10 right back those are mine what about you paul uh in this order number 10 right back midfield okay i'm fine with the order either way i think they're both right so that is that the season is done we will shift gears into transfer mode we have a five day a week Euros summary pod thing coming. The European uh, football championships are coming this summer and we will have special correspondent on. We'll make that big announcement and it'll all be coming out. It'll be five days a week, a short Euros uh, episode every day. Clive, by the way, wants you to know that he would do right back, center mid, center back. Interesting. No number 10 for Clive. It's going to be Speaking Smith Rowe. that right back thing, isn't he? Yeah, we all love right backs. Okay, so uh, that'll do it. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo! Tim's on Twitter, Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. My name is Elliot Smith. You bought me on Twitter. And Gunner, we've got some fun merch coming. Uh, had some requests for that, so we're going to do it. I am going to put out the winners of the review competition. A, lot, a couple of you have asked, when are you going to announce the winners of the reviews? Here's what I'm struggling with. Um, I, it occurs to me that we have all these people that wrote reviews, and I want to I want to pick some winners. There's no like email address or anything associated with it. So I'm just going to say, hey, did you leave a review under this name? And I'll have no way to check if you're being honest. You just be like, oh, I did. I did. Um, give me the shirt. So I, I don't know exactly how to execute that. So what I'm soliciting from you at this point now is if people have an idea of how I solve that. Because I want to pick the winners, but I want to make sure those people get the shirt, get rewarded. So I apologize that I haven't put that out yet. It's merely because I'm an idiot and it occurred to me that I don't know how I exactly identify who the people are that wrote the review. So that is that is a hold up there, but it is definitely happening. In any event, um, we will have patron content on news and transfer business coming 
uh, and much, much more. So thank you for being here. We do love you so much. And uh, we look forward to sharing the craziness of the summer and the fun and title-winning success of next season together. We love you. We'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Transfer Window Network.